Welcome to this edition of Green & Co's podcast range. My name's Tim Green, joint owner here at Green & Co Estate Agents in Wantage. And we're speaking to you from our offices in the marketplace where we've been helping our local community buy and sell property for over 230 years now. This afternoon is devoted to all potential first-time buyers out there. We'll be aiming to help anyone who's thinking about trying to get themselves onto the property ladder, whether that be knowing when is the right time to buy, how to buy, and perhaps what so much of all of this jargon that might be thrown at you means. Really trying to help you navigate your way through what can be on the face of it quite a daunting concept. Now, however long we talk for in this session, we're almost certainly going to not cover every topic and quite possibly answer all the questions that you have in your head. If that's the case, we'll all be, always be pleased to hear from you. As usual, our contact details are embedded in this link. We'll also leave you with our contact details at the end and that of any of our guests at the end of the podcast. Do give us a call. We love talking about houses and have so many contacts for people and organisations that will no doubt be able to help you on your way. Joining me this afternoon is James Goodman, Head of Residential Sales here at Green Co. Together with our guest for the afternoon, Simon Beasley from Unique Financial Planning. James brings a wealth of experience across the whole property market range in South Oxfordshire. Welcome, James. Thank you, Tim. Simon Beasley is a fully qualified whole-of-market mortgage broker and has been helping property buyers secure their dream homes for many years now. Welcome, Simon. Perhaps I could start by asking Simon about his title and quite what that means in this instance, particularly for someone that's not bought a property before. What, what does whole-of-market mortgage broker actually mean? So there's a few, day, a few different ways of, of interacting with financial services professionals. So typically, if you go to your bank, you're just getting the options of that one bank or building society. Um, some mortgage advisors are tied to a limited number of different banks and building societies, so they only recommend the products and services of a small select group of companies, usually ones that there's some sort of a reciprocal relationship with. So that means you're not getting as many different choices. And we're whole of market advisors, so we've potentially got all the options that are available through, through a financial advisor. So theoretically, if you use a whole of market advisor, you've got a broader range of options that you're looking at, which in the current climate can be really valuable. It can make the difference between a move being the right thing for you to do or for you not being able to do it. So it sounds like it can only be a good thing to speak to somebody who's got whole of market because you're getting representation of the whole market rather than perhaps a select few that you don't quite know whether you're getting the best deal? I wouldn't disagree with you there, Tim. Okay, that's, that's, that's really useful. And if somebody has, has got a, um, a, a contact already, you know, there might be somebody within the family that they want to talk to, presumably there's no reason not to. If they don't want to speak to a whole-of-market mortgage broker, there's no problem with that as such. No, not at all. Um, I would say, my previous comment about making sure that you're getting the right advice at the moment, um, I would suggest if you are only going to speak to your bank about arranging a mortgage, that you're probably limiting your options more than you should be. But if you are speaking to an advisor that has a range of options or the whole of the market, that's a good starting point for most people. And do those first-time buyers have to pay for your service? So we only ever charge on a success-related basis. So we charge a fee when the mortgage offer is produced. So that's yeah. once you've gone through the entire process, you've found a house, you've applied for the mortgage, We've gone through all the surveys and all the identification processes with you. You've been assessed and, and the lender eventually turns around and says, OK, we're happy to lend to you. And that's the point at which you pay us a fee. Um, all the work we do before and after is, is free of charge, essentially. OK, although that sounds, sounds really useful. And that's something that you talk through. So if you, <coughs> if you meet up with a first-time buyer and explain what you do, um, they can obviously see the whole picture 
understand more about the mortgages that are out there, what's happening in the market, um, and know what it's going to cost them. Absolutely. The very first part of our process, before we even start gathering in for any information from the client, is to go through who we are, how we work, what regulations surround what we do, how we charge, what, whether you could get a refund in those circumstances. All of those things are disclosed before you even start talking to us about what you're looking to do. And um, I, I, I guess that probably the majority of people that are listening into this podcast are going to know what a mortgage is. But is there anything specific about a first-time buyer mortgage that's different to all the other mortgages that people have out there? <clears throat> Typically, when we're referring to a first-time buyer mortgage, it isn't a different product from, generally speaking, from what everybody else has on their mortgage. But first-time buyer mortgages typically are needing as much income to be used as possible, or perhaps the deposit is smaller than, than a normal buyer would be. And it's those two areas which really lenders will target when they're looking at first-time buyers. So perhaps lending more times that person's salary than they would do a normal member of the public, mm. um, or enabling you to purchase with a lower deposit level than you would normally have. Um, those are kind of areas which are traditionally first-time buyer mortgages. I mean, it's, it's an interesting <coughs> point, isn't it? And I, I know um, James will have a, a very interesting view on this, but I think for uh, the, the average first-time buyer, not that there is such a thing as an average first-time buyer, but most first-time buyers are going to be in a position where they're struggling to get a deposit together. That's got to be one of the biggest hindrances out there. So, you know, how are people, how are you finding it in the market with deposits, with first-time buyers coming along and looking at properties? Is that, is that an issue for them and how are they overcoming that? I think deposits are always the first stumbling block for first-time buyers, aren't they? Um, and I think Simon will talk about other opportunities later on. But when we come to bank of mum and dad, grandparents, etc., there are those opportunities there. There are other products available that actually will work maybe not quite as well, but equally well. So it's not a question, I haven't got a deposit, so I can't buy. We see deposits of £200,000, 5% deposits and there's other products available. So as it stands at this moment in time, there isn't a one-size-fits-all, but ask the questions. Because the most important thing is looking into making sure you've got incomes in the right place, that you haven't missed any payments and things like that. Again, things that Simon would go through. But fundamentally, it's being in that position to say, yeah, I'm ready to go, I want to commit to this. And it, now is a good time as any to buy. It will always be, now is a good time to buy, because you're committing yourself to a mortgage for a long time and paying it off over that period of time. So that you can get to the far end and think, I've got some security under my belt, I've actually got a house which I've paid for over a large number of years, and I've got a bit of money behind me. Is that, is that the, 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 the end goal, do you think? Well, it was mine when I was a first-time buyer 30 years ago, and I think now we're in a position where that shouldn't really change. And if you look at the, the increase in value of property over that period of time, you extrapolate that to the future, then goodness only knows where we're going to be in, in 25 or 30 years' time. But certainly, every 10 years or so, with the odd exception, the value of property has doubled. Can I just ask you, James, before I go back to Simon, um, is there such a thing as an average first-time buyer? Um, is there a quite an age range? Because I think some people, obviously, circumstances are different. You know, they may start out renting and then find it difficult to get a deposit together. Um, do first-time buyers cover a particular age range, or is it quite wide? It's a really good point, Tim. And, and uh, there, like everything, there's no actual 
one size fits all answer. I think the reality is it's, it's at the right time and it's people identifying what that right time is for them. Again, my advice is no, there's no time like the present. So it can be people who have um, just got their, their first teaching job. We've got a first time buyer at this moment in time who's just got their first teaching job and um, is, is really excited to be looking to buy their first property. Um, it can be first time buyers who have been renting for 20 years and realise that all they're doing is paying somebody else's mortgage. Mm-hmm. So uh, obviously deposit's one stumbling block which both of you see uh, as being an issue. But um, then there's obviously uh, the affordability because you know if, you're, if you have no option but to put a roof over your head, the two main elements are whether you rent somewhere or whether you buy somewhere. But uh, renting always seems more expensive than buying. So there are, I guess, circumstances where renting somewhere is still going to be appropriate because it gives you a bit of freedom. Um, but do you find that um, people ideally would rather save some money and not have the cost of renting? Or are a few people perhaps put off by thinking, well, it's a very long-term commitment and I don't know what's going to happen to values, I don't know, what, you know. Do you have concerns in other areas when you're talking to people? I think everybody's got their own point of view and, and they're in different circumstances, but certainly the first-time buyers that I'm interacting with at the moment have decided that now is the right time to buy. They want to make that investment. Um, I think those rents that have gone up 20% or so in the last um, 12 months or, or more well, that, that's quite a commitment in itself, isn't it? And, and quite a threat as well. And, and whilst government <coughs> and looking at changing um, evictions and things like that, don't need to get onto that today, but whilst that's still there looming in, in, in the future, I don't know that rental is necessarily always the best idea. And therefore, speaking to somebody like Simon with that whole of market knowledge can be the, a really good stepping stone, even if it's preparing. What do they need to do for the next six months or 12 months to be able to buy in 18 months time so I know that I'm ticking all the right boxes and, and Simon will talk to you about having a credit card or not having a credit card and that credit footprint which is really important all of these aspects are really important to get nailed down at this stage so that you can make things as easy as possible for you now or at some stage in the future okay so hopefully those people that are listening to this podcast will have said I've got some plan that I want to buy a property I don't want to be renting. I don't want to be staying with mum and dad if they're still in that position. So they come to you, Simon, and they're saying, so what's it going to cost me? Uh, and you'll say to them, well, we want to know all about you. Um, and we start talking about deposit. As we've said earlier, not everybody's got access to deposit funds themselves or from the bank of mum and dad mm -hmm. or within the family. So what are the types of things that, that you encounter when you're when you're talking to first-time buyers that become issues that, and, and, and how you might be able to overcome them? Yeah, in terms of the deposit side of things, as James has already alluded to, that is one of the biggest stumbling blocks for a first-time buyer. Um, there are products out there on the market that are designed to try and help in that situation, and there are ways of doing things with more traditional products. For example, you know, maybe adding parents onto a mortgage or providing uh, gift money, that kind of thing to help. Um, there are mortgages with 5% deposits that are government backed at the moment and there are some that are non-government backed which help people with smaller deposits. One of the most exciting ones recently is um, a track record mortgage where they look at how much you're paying in rent every month 
and then lend you an amount proportional to what your mortgage payment would be on that basis. So, for example, I've got a client who I was speaking to last week. He pays £1,280 a month in rent, always pays on time, never misses a payment. He is able to borrow 100% of the value of a property worth 230000 because he can evidence that he can afford those monthly payments by track record over the last six months of him paying his rent on time. Mm. The other advantage of, of, of him going down that route is that we've worked out over the next five years, if he carries on paying that rent, he'll pay over £76,000 out in rent, whereas if he's paying towards the mortgage, then he's paying more than £15,000 off that mortgage. That's before you even look at whether the property's likely to go up in value over that period of time as well. Do you tend to find that, that people have got um, good permanent income, they've got their roots down in a particular area, and therefore saying, I really, really don't want to continue to pay rent each month. I want to be able to forge myself a way forward with my own house. I think we've almost got to the point now, with, as James mentioned, that the rent's being so high that it's very difficult for your average man in the street to actually physically save a deposit with the cost of living mm. and, and how much money they would need to get together, along with covering that rent payment. And you wonder whether these people may be getting further away from getting a deposit together for a house rather than closer at the moment. The, the, the other issue that you have is the, the longer we leave this, the more it, yeah, the longer we leave it, the, the more difficult it gets to be able to get the mortgage because you're taking a larger amount of money out over a shorter period of time. And when the lender assesses affordability, they're going to look at how old you are at that particular point and what your working life is going to be. So you're, if you accept that the costs of having a roof over your head are going to be your most significant outgoing over the course of your working life, it's better to get started paying that off as soon as possible rather than delaying it because you think something might happen with, with house prices. Um, That's a fantastic point, actually, Simon, isn't it? And I think that, that the, the immediacy and, and urgency that, that, that people can create for themselves is, is key to them having life goals and whatever, and everyone's going to have their own individual life goals. But couple that with the flexibility that employers are offering at this moment in time with working from home environments, etc. Having your own home and being able to, to work in it, live in it, pay it off sooner, so surely from my point of view at least, and I might be wrong, but is a, a life goal to have. I think there's that, that danger, isn't there? If you watch a lot of the property shows that everybody thinks of a house more in terms of a, an investment than they do a home. And I think that we've probably got to that point where actually people need to be thinking about their long-term roof over their head rather than thinking, oh, I might make a couple of thousand pounds if I leave it for a month or two. Um, History has told us, as you've already said, those house prices are, are pretty stubborn in this country. Uh, and it may be that if you leave it too long, you might miss the boat for whatever reason. Maybe your circumstances change. For example, affordability calculations will take into account what your family household situation is. So if you have children, for example, that's all taken into account. So things can change in your circumstances, which might mean that later in life you're not as able to be able to ob obtain the same amount of mortgage finance as you could get if you started that a little bit younger. So getting that first step on the ladder is important now, or at least understanding how to do that, coming yes. to have a chat with you, um, <coughs> so that you can plan and make sure that you are there in that, either now, or six months or 12 months, 18 yeah. months down the road, because there are certain things that I know you can do from a, a health mortgage check point of view that will enable people to ensure that they're getting the best rates from the best lenders at the best time. Definitely the, the case that even before you start seriously looking at houses that you come and have a chat with the mortgage advisor, the first time that thought goes off in your head, actually I might want to own a property at some point, that's the point to get in touch with us. We'd be looking at helping you work out what the best way of managing your credit is, potentially something you alluded to earlier on, 
taking out a credit card and then regularly paying it back to establish a track record. That can all be done in advance. Often I'll see, see clients who are looking to um, try and apply for a mortgage that haven't checked their credit reports and they find that they were late with a mobile phone payment a few years ago that you know, was sent to the wrong address and all they need to do is to phone the, the provider, the lender up and, and get that removed from their credit report because it shouldn't be on there because it was a mistake. But that can take a few months to sort out. And if you leave that to the moment when you found the property for dreams, that's the moment where you're going to be quite tense, wondering whether it's going to get sorted out in time for you to be able to buy. Perfect. So, so really, there's no time <coughs> like the present, is what you're saying, to be talking to you. Absolutely. To find out, to, to sort of talk about people's track records, their credit ratings, yep. um, their capability to buy. Yeah. We can give them a feel for what sort of income they're likely to, to need, what, what mortgage payments would cost give them a feel for how much money they would need to save and what difference that might make to mm. their deposit and, and therefore what mortgages they would qualify for. And until you get to a mortgage offer, so even if you, you, you start talking to them and build this relationship, they're not going to get a big bill through the door until Absolutely. they actually... Okay, yeah, and that's, 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 I think that's really valuable. Because actually people, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big information gathering process, isn't it? And, and as we know, you know, you can go and read things on the internet, most of which is rubbish. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually to be able to talk to you and actually gain that information sounds really valuable. Well, I, I can quite regularly start talking to a client 12 months before they end up buying just because we're getting these ducks in a row so that they're ready. Okay. I think the other thing is it, it's quite nice to save with an objective in mind. So if you've spoken to me and you know that's the sort of deposit I'm aiming for, that's the sort of house I can mm. get, that's how much I could afford, it makes it easier when you're sitting there eating beans on toast and watching TV and not going out on a Friday mm. night because... There's a goal, uh, you know, there's an end in sight. You touched on earlier other products that <coughs> are available for those people that have got a limited deposit. Because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if people are saying, well, yeah, but I'm renting, I'm using, I'm, on, I'm already on baked beans mm-hmm. in my rented property. I can't afford to do anything. How am I supposed to save this deposit? Mm-hmm. And you talked about, you know, 5% deposit, which might be government-backed. Mm-hmm. What Could you just briefly explain to us what opportunities, what other options there are out there for first-time buyers that are struggling to get any form of deposit together mm-hmm. to be able to help them? Uh, yeah, so we've talked already about the, um, the the track record mortgage, the 100%, so being able to demonstrate that you're paying that amount of money in rent over a yeah. period of time, you qualify for 100% of the, the value of the house on, wow. on the mortgage. Um, there are the 95% mortgages that we've mentioned already. Mm. That's not necessarily right for everybody because they might not have the 5% in savings or be able to be given it by a family member. Mm. Um, there are things like the family springboard mortgage, which um, is a way that a family member can put money into a deposit savings account that can be used as like a guarantee for the loan. Mm-hmm. So that can give them access to that money. So they're not giving it away. They've still It's still their money, but it's being, it's enabling their child to be able to get onto the property market okay that sounds... and so that's an option that we use reasonably often yeah the other things to look at are is that all the deposit that you've got because you mentioned earlier on talking to grandparents etc can it can sometimes be the right time from their financial planning point of view to start making gifts to you because of the inheritance tax rules and the way that those work out which is obviously beyond the scope of today's conversation but we were talking about affordability earlier. I just wanted to touch on the term of mortgages because um, you know we're we're now back into a, a market where um, deposits are obviously very much stretched, mm-hmm. and you've obviously talked to us a little bit about the the options that are out there. Um, some people with small amount of deposits are worried that house prices might actually go down, um, but given the fact that you've got nowadays minimum probably a twenty five year term for your mortgage, but as much as 
Oh, you couldn't go as high as 40. Wow. And 35 is fairly common. So the days of 25-year mortgages for traditional first-time buyer have sort of gone by the wayside, really. So should a first-time buyer be worried, really, other than affordability, about what happens to interest rates in the meantime? Because they, they presumably will go up and down across a 40-year period. Only if you're intending to get in and get out in a short period of time, which isn't usually people's intention with the roof over their head. It's, this is my plan for the future, this is my home, this is my, where I intend to be. If you're buying somewhere and you're thinking you might want to be moving out in 12 months' time, mm. it might not be the right thing for you to do. Mm. But for most people, that isn't the case. They're always going to need that roof over their head. So from that side of things, it usually makes sense to do this as early as possible because then you can extend the mortgage over a longer period of time. It's no good applying for the mortgage at 55 years old and trying to ask for a 40-year mortgage because you won't get one. No. Whereas if you do that in your early 30s, that gives you options. Yeah, no, that's really useful. James, just thinking about you know, first-time buyers, you know, if, if Simon's been able to assist them, they've got a product, it's affordable, it's better value than the other options that they've got, is there, is there an ideal first-time buyer property that people should be looking for? What type of things do you sell to first-time buyers? I think affordability is, again, the key, and that's the driver. Um, there's all sorts of discussions to be had about leasehold, freehold, etc., and, and those things probably for another day. But I, I wouldn't put anybody off looking at anything at this moment in time as long as they investigate what they get themselves to in, into in the first instance and take some really sound advice from Simon or, or ourselves. Um, we can take them through the minefield of lease, leasehold, which isn't actually as bad as people make it out, um, and the difference between the two. Freehold in itself has some issues that, that not everyone is aware of at this moment in time. Okay, so you, you've, you've moved on to a subject which is, I think is really, really important, which is talking about the, the, the legal aspects mm. of, of, of a property purchase. So what you're saying is, is really first-time buyers don't fit into any one particular pigeonhole. Um, any property could be of interest to a first-time buyer, depending on their circumstances. Um, but at what point, perhaps, should they be thinking about taking legal advice and to whom should they go? I think that they should be speaking to, to Simon. We've, we've got some solicitor recommendations that we can make. Simon will have solicitor recommendations that he can make. The recommendations that we make about, about Simon doing people's mortgages aren't tainted by um, any um, other anything other than our admiration of Simon as a professional without blowing too much sunshine. Um, and similarly with solicitors as well. We've, we work with two or three regularly who, who actually provide really good advice and actually look at after the customer or the buyer or the, um, the, the first-time buyer in this instance with, with the same way that we try to, which is putting them at the centre of the process. OK, so the days of sort of stuffy old solicitors who sort of talk down to you in a patronising way have gone. Mostly. There's probably one or two still kicking about. I like the way that you both answered that. That's fantastic. But in essence, you know, the, the, the solicitors, the conveyances, the legal advisors that you guys have contact with are people that a first-time buyer is going to be able to have a conversation with and say, I'm thinking about buying this. What are the pitfalls? What are the pros and cons? Before they get into a buying process. We've got a conveyance, a local in, in Wantage, that um, she lives here. Uh, she works for a, a big firm, but has the opportunity to work from home and goes and visits some of my clients in their homes you wouldn't have got that five years ago no that's really interesting okay so really you need to talk to your mortgage advisor check your budget take legal advice on the whole buying process at that point Definitely, yeah. speak to you find out what properties are within your budget go and have a look at them whatever the circumstances go and have a look at them and see what see what's out there 
I think the no time like the present exactly is now. Do it now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you've got nothing to lose. Could be exactly the right time for you to make the move. Okay, that's that's fantastic. Um, our time is running out, but I'd like to thank both of you for your time this afternoon. Uh, I hope that between all of us, we've covered most of the questions out there. We've certainly covered a lot of territory. Um, it may have actually created more questions than it's provided answers. But just as a reminder, if you do have questions about anything that we've heard this afternoon or about the first-time buying process in general, please do get in touch. If we can't help you, I would find it hard to believe that we don't know somebody who can. All of us can be contacted through the office. Call us on 01235 763562. Drop us an email at sales at or contact us through any of our social pages. Thank you for listening this afternoon. I hope that it's been of both interest and some help. We look forward to joining us, you joining us on the next Greening Co podcast session. Thanks all. Bye for now. Thanks, Em. Thanks, Em. <laughs>